Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week, Apple hosted their spring-loaded media event. This is an event that uh, is often in person, but of course, because of, uh, of COVID and the pandemic, it is, it is virtual. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Apple does eventually return to in-person media events. Of course, they've got a beautiful theater that they built in their new building named after Steve Jobs. So I think there probably is some desire to get people back in the building, though I know a lot of people appreciate not having to, to travel to Cupertino to, uh, to cover this event. Uh, and at this week's event, we saw a number of announcements. Apple updated their iMac uh, with M1 to a slimmer design with two small fans. They introduced a cornucopia of colors that got a lot of uh, coverage, a 1080p webcam, something we can all appreciate for those who are uh, remote and doing remote work. Um, and they, they updated some other features as well. The uh, iMac with M1 starts at $1299 for an eight-core CPU, seven-core GPU in, in four colors, and $1499 for the eight-core GPU in seven colors with Touch ID keyboard, and, and both of those should be shipping uh, in the coming months. Yeah, so this is their uh, clearly most minimalist iMac ever. Uh, and the return to multiple colors, uh, uh, a, a, a literal rainbow of colors, you know, seven of them, uh, brings us back to some of the experimenting with colors and even patterns that uh, Apple engaged in with the, the first CRT-based iMacs. And I, I think there are some themes there uh, that, um, that carry forward to today. Back then, the iMac was really the first new product that Apple launched after Steve Jobs' uh, return. It was uh, something intended to help Apple get out of its uh, death spiral long before the iPod and, and certainly iPhone, uh, and to uh, get people to, to think different, as the uh, ad campaign uh, was uh, exhorting them to do. Uh, and it was a uh, it was a success, uh, of course. It it was really a, a seminal device, seminal product, uh, in helping Apple uh, get onto the path toward the uh, dominant uh, power that it is today. Uh, and uh, this this iMac is a, a little different, but it is the the first uh, Mac that has been built from the ground up for Apple's new M1 chip. Uh, which, in a sense, fulfills Steve Jobs' desire to make, quote, the whole widget. Uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, clearly, while, while desktop uh, computer sales uh, grew significantly during the pandemic, this is not a category that has necessarily been on, on an up, uh, uphill uh, climb uh, for for the past few years, really, notebooks have been where where the market volume has been, uh, and so uh, to make something available in in seven colors, uh, that is a lot of uh, that that is a bit of a skew management challenge. Uh, but 
you know, again, of course, today, uh, Apple itself is the dominant retailer of, uh, of Macs as opposed to the way it was when the first iMac uh, was, was introduced. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a showcase really for, for the chip. They talked about how they redesigned uh, the internals and how things take up a fraction of the space uh, that they did back then. Uh, the other product that the M1 is finding its way into is the new iPad Pro. And uh, uh, this is also going to be the first iPad with, with 5G. Uh, and it is interesting to see the same chip in both the Mac and the iPad. Of course, they were already using the same chip family, uh, but now they're using uh, the, the same processor. And I think the question there, actually in, in both cases, really becomes what kind of software is going to really take advantage of this. Uh, Apple has done really well in terms of the emulation, getting uh, existing apps to run satisfactorily uh, with, with the M1, but to really, of course, take advantage of the chip, things have to be rewritten. On a machine like the Mac, that makes sense because you, you're going to have Photoshop, you're going to have uh, uh, apps like you know Apple's own Final Cut, uh, really high-end uh, media editing applications. And uh, they played up some of those capabilities on the iPad as well. There are a few high-end apps, and, and they're also adding Thunderbolt uh, to the iPad to really facilitate very fast transfer of very large media files. Uh, 5G, of course, could help with that as well, particularly over time. But uh, and, and they do, in fairness, bill it as a pro product, but is there really that kind of demand? How big is the demand, the market out there uh, for such a, a powerful tablet? Uh, and uh, is the software really there to support it? Uh, even, even if everything available now becomes native, uh, is, is, there, is, is that a critical mass of software to support su such a powerful device? Well, and I think there definitely is, as I saw somebody put it, a little bit of potentially foreshadowing here that that it's it clearly commits Apple in a direction for the for the iPad as a platform and as a product and suggests that we will see more software, more demanding software come to this and that they see a future for this product that will require much more uh you know computing power and, and rigorous computing power capabilities. So I think we're, we're just seeing the start of this really. And uh, we'll see a lot more coming to the iPad, presumably with, uh, with how it, you know, where that fits in. Uh, other things we saw this week from Apple, they announced the launch of AirTags. This is a, um, should I say, tile-like product. That allows, you can say that. <laughs> allows uh, users to track different items through Apple's Find My app, which Apple, of course, uh, a few weeks ago opened up to, uh, to third parties. Uh, they will sell their, their trackers for $29 each. A four-pack will cost $99. And then they have some, uh, some higher-end uh, features and, and um, branding that will will come in at uh, closer to $299. They have a Hermes line starting at $299 with handcrafted leather holders if your existing keychain isn't good enough. 
Well, that, that, you know, that of course is an accessory, uh, but uh, bar, barring that, this is probably the least expensive product that Apple has uh, come out with in, in many, many years. Uh, and uh, as you know, Sean, the core functionality is about finding lost items uh, as, as Tile does. Uh, Samsung also has an offering uh, in this space, but um, two, two things worth noting. One is that Apple is relying on the uh, ultra-wideband chip in its uh, high-end iPhones in order to provide a degree of precision when it comes to finding things and being directed to things that just uh, really is not uh, available in today's products. Uh, the ultra-wideband capability is in uh, the high-end uh, Samsung phone. I'm sure we'll see it come to many more phones uh, in, in the coming years. Uh, and Tile is uh, developing a, a new version of its service uh, to work with these, uh, these features as well. Uh, but at least for today, it's, uh, it's, it's not only more precise than other products on the market, uh, but Apple has built-in protections, uh, some really clever features, in fact, uh, to ensure that uh, with its privacy-first focus, uh, that the product is not used for tracking uh, humans, uh, unwanted tracking of, of humans, uh, or, um, or tracking of pets. Uh, you know, so why does Apple hate dogs? I, I think is the question we we have to ask. Uh, no, but um, uh, you know, some clever features in terms of uh, being able to make sounds when you find an unwanted tag uh, on your person, for example. Uh, so um, you know, the the other angle is is the uh, competition with Tile, and this week, of course, we have congressional hearings about uh, the App Store. And uh, it was kind of a, as, as we were talking earlier, uh, you know, kind of a very striking exchange where uh, Tile wasn't even allowed to talk about uh, some of the restrictions that it, it has to uh, agree to, uh, to be on the platform because of NDA. And uh, Apple essentially confirmed uh, the, the nature of the NDA uh, right there uh, during the hearing. So, you know, it is a platform that third parties can tap into. In fact, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, some of the first products that can be part of the network. But if you are a rival service, then then you can't connect into the hardware. So So that is the controversial part of AirTags. It feels to me like, Apple here has taken a, a note right out of uh, Amazon's book. Amazon has done a great job with their Amazon Basics of creating products at at relatively low prices, in many cases lower prices, for some of the most popular accessories and and other items that are sold on the platform. There's so they're essentially private labeling products based upon probably what's selling well. Uh, in the market, or at least what they're able to, uh, you know, what they're able to produce. And uh, well, that, that's certainly, that's certainly part of Tal's argument. That's part of Spotify's argument that, you know, as the owner of the app store, uh, Apple has insights into what kind of promotions and, you know, what kind of demographics uh, uh, drive these, these businesses before they enter. Yeah. And, and Amazon has been accused of that, that same anti competitive behavior 
and, and, uh, you know, allowing them to move into other markets. And, um, you know, I think in many ways it highlights Apple's real dedication recently to services and to growing to services revenue here. They're, they're selling the hardware, but they're building out the service. They see it as a service opportunity, I think, and they're, and that, you know, they're building that out. And we could imagine that they could overlay additional features to this over time that look like a subscription model. So in addition to buying the AirTag hardware, uh, you're also paying some, some fee on a regular basis for some additional information, some additional service. Uh, and, that, and I think that makes a lot of sense, especially as the products become connected and other things like that. There's, there's already precedent uh, for that from Tile, you know, which has a premium version of its service uh, that allows things like uh, proactive notifications if you walk away from, you know, from your Tile-enabled device. Um, one, one other thing to consider here is that, you know, this isn't just a competition between AirTags and Tiles tags. Uh, really, a big part of Tiles' business push over the past couple of years has been embedding uh, its technology into all kinds of um, products, uh, HP laptops, uh, Bose uh, headphones. Uh, you know, they, they have a number of other partners uh, that tap into the Tile network. So uh, if, if their network, uh, you know, be begins to be perceived as inferior, uh, that could really jeopardize their, uh, their pitch uh, to, to some of these third parties for, for embedding. In other news from the, their event, Apple announced that they would be moving into uh, podcast subscriptions. A- Apple arguably uh, really created the mass market for podcasts and the Apple a podcast platform is still the most popular platform for many podcasts, including this podcast. Most of you are listening through through Apple Podcasts, so we appreciate that and thank you for that. And uh, so Apple announced that they would start to uh, offer subscription services. There wasn't a lot of additional details. Recode did publish an article where they talked with somebody familiar with Apple's plans, say, saying that- I think, I think it's- um... It's $20. So, so interestingly enough, you know, as a podcast creator, uh, you have to pay $20 to participate a year, I think, to participate in the program. Uh, and then similar to the App Store, it's 30% of revenue uh, the first year and then 15% uh, the, uh, the following years. Uh, some of the uh, pushback on it include that, well, Look, unlike you know the App Store or, or other businesses where Apple takes a percentage, they're not even necessarily hosting these podcasts. So you know it's a pure um, pay-for distribution uh, kind of uh, kind of play. Um, so uh, you know we'll uh, we'll see where that goes. But a, a couple of uh, commercial podcast providers already lining up to offer subscriptions on the program. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it it necessarily needs to be Apple exclusive shows, but they uh, would like to see some exclusive material as part of that. So maybe it it is ad free shows, maybe it's shows with extra content, or even brand new shows that uh, only exist on on Apple. Uh, to me, this is very in line with first Apple's 
broader business model of driving service revenue and, and creating services out of almost everything. And, and others have already done this. Uh, Ross and, and I, we were talking about uh, how Google has done this for Gmail through G Suite and other services, essentially taking a product that you've offered for free and, and monetizing it through subscription service by offering other features. So I think Apple will continue to, to move in this direction. And then, uh, you know, I think the other, the other piece of this is just what you see from everyone is building up original content. And we saw Netflix this week report their Q1 revenue. And uh, well, we had revenue up 24% and paid membership up 14% year over year. It was below the forecast and the, the stock took a hit as a result. In their release, Netflix argued that the uh, that it was a result of not having a lot of content in the first half of the year. And they think that will pick up as, as some of the shows uh, drop in the second half of the year and they'll see those numbers go back up. I also wonder, you know, for Netflix, for uh, its competitors, for some of the, uh, uh, you know, electronics companies as well, uh, Apple also introducing a new version of uh, Apple TV product uh, a couple of weeks after Roku announced uh, some updates to its product line. Uh, Sean, what, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the comps uh, argument that that we're going to see uh, this year. You know, last year we saw so many people spending so much time at home, spending so much time on streaming and buying, you know, all of these new PCs and bringing certain categories back from the dead. You know, I imagine there, there's going to be a little bit of an overhang on that throughout 2021, but at some point, you know, doesn't doesn't that have to go away? Um, at some point, it probably does go away. And Netflix pointed to that too. They they wrote hmm. the quote, the extraordinary events of COVID-19 led to an unprecedented membership growth in 2020 as it pulled forward growth from 2021. So I think you're going to see a lot of companies argue, hey, this wasn't necessarily newfound growth. So the reason why growth is slowing now, or at least the growth rates are slowing, is because a lot of the growth that we experienced in 2020 wasn't a new trajectory, but rather a pulling forward. And so it's this lump in our trajectory. And so I think you're going to see a lot of companies using this argument over the, the next year saying all of the strong growth we had last year was a pull forward. And while growth rates are slowing, it isn't indicative of the business slowing down in, in any way. Shareholders at least took a pause. Wall Street took a pause to question that assumption and you you saw the you know the stock price react to that. I do think that anything year over year is going to be a tough compare for uh, you know for the next few months at least. We see it with all of the economic data where we had a big step down in the early months of the pandemic for a lot of economic series, and so the year over year numbers just look wacky. Uh, and I think in some instances we're better looking at two year over two year. Let's step back to 2019 and see what uh, the data looks like. For a, for a two-year over two-year period and, and get a better feel for what the underlying growth for some of these businesses look like. In our final news of the week, we saw that uh, Facebook is looking at advertising and offering advertising capabilities for their uh, video platform and their video offerings, making uh, some of these eligible for in-stream ads. Facebook says that they have two 
plus billion users each month watching videos. And so they're going to start testing in-stream videos. And I think, again, here we just see companies trying to find new ways of advertising in a world where Apple is changing the rules. We also saw announcements that, you know, that Apple would um, start to expand its ad business. So it's changed the rules. It will force some of these existing businesses to adjust and to adapt. And at the same time, they're going to enter the market because now they probably understand the rules as well, if not better than, than anyone else. Well, I, I, I do see a couple of, you know, I do see one little difference, which is that Apple is expanding advertising on the app store. So it's more about app discovery, which is kind of a subgenre uh, in itself. But, uh, you know, the, the, the contrast is, you know, and the thing that they have been uh, railing against is tracking and ad serving once you acquire the ad and, and your ongoing use of it. Uh, but uh, this this move by Facebook is not too surprising. This has been a very popular growing format on YouTube, this notion of serving the ad uh, in the middle of the video. It, uh, well, obviously it borrows a lot from the classic television uh, commercial uh, and the the web interstitial of, of yore. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it, it, unlike an, an early ad, an ad that you get before the video where you sort of question, uh, you know, is it worth sitting through this three-minute video about drop shipping on Amazon, you know, in order to uh, to watch whatever silly thing is, is coming up or an ad at the end where, of course, you're going to turn it off. Uh, you're invested in the content at this point and uh, motivated to see how it all turns out. So you're, you're more inclined to sit uh, through the ad. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of uh, tracking, ad tracking, uh, Google continues to receive a lot of pushback uh, on its proposed FLOC, F-L-O-C standard, uh, which is intended to serve as a replacement for third-party cookies. Uh, many companies, certainly a lot of other browser makers coming out uh, saying that they're not going to support the standard. They don't really believe that it protects users' privacy. Uh, Mozilla, Microsoft, uh, probably the most important one, uh, and uh, now WordPress, the near ubiquitous uh, blogging software uh, developer, uh, you know, coming out saying that it's it's not going to support Flock. Uh, you know, all that said, uh, it's still probably the standard is still probably in in pretty good shape uh, because Google has a high enough market share with Chrome still. Uh, where they can probably still make it very effective, and that, uh, and, and of course, also implemented on Android. Uh, but uh, but it just goes to show that you know this uh, proposed standard that was held up as replacing the cookie um, still faces a lot of challenges when it comes to preserving. Uh, privacy. Kind of related to this, we also saw on Monday that Facebook announced plans to create its own version of of Clubhouse, mm -hmm. the, the social chat network, and that it's going to start distributing podcasts itself. You see companies looking at, can I build more products and services that I can uh, put advertising against? And so I, rather than having to bridge across platforms, I can advertise within platforms across all of my existing portfolio so you've got these kind of competing models here where where Facebook had relied a lot on the ability to to you know to pass advertising on um, 
and maybe now we will uh, see them more focused on just advertising within their own their own platform, building out more products to which they can uh, put put advertising against. It wouldn't surprise me, given Facebook's business model, if we saw ads integrated into their Clubhouse version, their Clubhouse clone, that they could then share with the the producers. And while Clubhouse has been very popular with the Silicon Valley. Uh, world, Facebook has a great reach with a lot of other small businesses, mom and pop type uh, organizations, a lot of groups that have shared interests uh, and shared hobbies that you could see them uh, having a quite successful, popular, uh, you know, audio feed that they invited their group members to. So more to come there and certainly not the last word that we will see from any of these companies on the future of advertising. It, it'll also, I think, be interesting to see the strategy that Facebook pursues there from <clears throat> an app integration approach. You know, it company has a mixed record in terms of, uh, you know, they, they've tried launching many apps uh, over the years uh, with niche functionality. Uh, most of them have, <clears throat> excuse me, most of them have not been successful. Um, and you know you you need to build up uh, an audience for each new app. On the other hand, if they try integrating this functionality into uh, the main Facebook app, one of the things they may be doing is continuing to go to Apple. You know, continuing to try to get Apple to say no, we're going to slap that down, we're going to slap that down, or and, and that just builds up Facebook's argument. Uh, that Apple is being anti-competitive, uh, you know, per per the podcast discussion we just had. So, certainly more to come as uh, these companies start to flesh out these services and look for how to monetize them moving forward and where advertising might fit in. Uh, thank you for joining us at th- this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubravac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubravac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks so much for listening.